If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. There are many books that have been written to explain the strategy of war. And one of the greatest that have withstood the test of time is The Art of War by Sun Tzu. In this strategic book, Sun Tzu makes the following statement. All warfare is based on deception. Now I want you to consider this quote in light of the many wars that have been fought throughout history. Throughout even current times and what's going on in Europe right now. And then stop for a moment and realize that there is a war that is fought behind the scenes that many of us as Christians are not always aware of. Spiritual warfare is fought against Satan and his demons. What I would like to call for clarification, the dark deception. So many around the world are more concerned about the physical domain that they've entirely forgotten about the spiritual. Paul the Apostle writes in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, here's what he says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." You see, the wiles or the schemes of Satan is what we ought to be concerned with, more so than whether media is lying to us or not, which they are. Because we know that there is something further to what's going on in this world, and there's a spiritual warfare that's going on. We need to know where the fight really lies. It lies in the spiritual realm, not merely the physical Today we'll be looking at the following and do our best to see the ways that we are deceived by Satan himself. Number one, we'll be defining deception. Number two, illustrating deception. And number three, overcoming deception. So number one, defining deception. Well, how does a dictionary define this? Well, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines deception as the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. Cambridge is very similar. It says this, the act of hiding the truth, especially to get an advantage. And then if you were to open up the Strong's, it defines deception in this way. Planao, which means deceive, err, seduce, wander. To properly cause to roam from safety, truth, or virtue. To go astray, deceive, err, seduce, wander, be out of the way. Helps Word Study says the following. Properly, go astray, get off course, to deviate from the correct path, circuit, or course. Roaming into error, wandering, passive, to be misled. Planao is the root of the English term planet, which is wandering body. This term nearly always conveys the sin of roaming. 
Now, these are pretty good definitions of what deception is. Until you realize that one may assume only others are the ones deceived, because the standard is different. Depending on what their source of truth is, which is why it's important to illustrate deception from the Word of God. Because God Himself says that His Word is truth. And we are to judge whether we are deceived by this, not whether someone's opinion matches up to ours. So number two, illustrating deception. One of the ways that we can illustrate deception is that many are blinded to the reality of Satan. If you were to actually ask most people today whether they think Satan exists, many would laugh. And if they did give any credence to it, they think he has you know, two horns with a pitchfork. Their idea of Satan is not at all what Scripture states. In fact, what we, what we many times even forget as believers is that Jesus himself was tempted by the devil. In Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Satan, or the devil himself, tempted our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The unfortunate thing is, many do not take it seriously enough that they themselves have a war that's going on behind the scenes over their own hearts and minds. In fact, many Christians feel like they have nothing to worry about when it comes to the spiritual war. If you were to be honest, how many times did you think of Satan this last week? You personally. Not those around you, but you personally. How many times did you actually think of Satan behind the scenes this last week? In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 4, Paul says these words, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You see, the warning here from the apostle is meant to wake up the church to the reality of the deception that Satan has, even over those that are in the church. We need to be on guard for that. And Jesus, that's found in Scripture, is the one that we worship, not the one that we've contributed to in our own minds. Unfortunately, the Jesus many worship today is not found in Scripture. The Jesus that many worship today is apart from the Word of God. The Jesus that many worship today has been redefined by culture. In fact, the church was warned against putting up with deception, which came from Satan's influence in a different gospel that was preached. One of the unfortunate things today is many think that they have trusted the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ only to be deceived by another gospel, which is exactly what Paul is stating to this church. He's saying, look, you need to be careful. I'm concerned here, church, because we have this problem in America. We have this problem around the world where many people have been given another gospel and they claim that it's the real one. They've been deceived. 
Many don't think very much about their walk before God and how Satan and spiritual warfare really plays a role. You see, we're, we're constantly battling one another and not realizing that there's a spiritual battle behind the scenes. As someone once said, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The unfortunate thing is a lot of the church says they believe that he exists, but they act like he doesn't. It's, it's already a problem enough for us as disciples of Jesus not realizing how much of a role he should play in our lives, but to also deny the existence of Satan is just adding to the mess that we're in. Another thing that we see as we illustrate deception is seeking sensational deliverance. A quick fix mentality. A lot of the church is deceived by this. In fact, if you were to look at the titles of some of the top top selling self-help books that you can find from a Christian perspective, if you will, here they are. Here they are. Power Thoughts: 12 Strategies to Win the Battle of the Mind. Hope for You, God's Plan for Your Health and Happiness. Never Give Up, Relentless Determination to Overcome Life's Challenges. And this is my favorite. Not really. Have a new you by Friday. How to accept yourself, boost your confidence, and change your life in five days. Man, the church would turn right around if we use this pattern, right? Making the best of a bad decision. How to put your regrets behind you. And then here's one for you ladies. The five dreams of every woman and how God wants to fulfill them. You see, the problem with these fixes is that they rarely ever last. Because they're based on fickle. They're based on assuming that the problem is here in the physical realm when it really lies in the spiritual. They're a quick fix to an internal problem that may actually take years to overcome. The problem is just as in the physical, so in the spiritual, a true solution needs to be found in truth. It needs to be in the balance of prayer and reading of God's word that this is accomplished in the spiritual realm. You can't fight your spiritual battles without this, believer. I don't know why so many attempt to do so. This isn't showy or trendy. It won't make the bestseller list to say, hey, you know what? I read the Bible consistently and faithfully this last week. Like, nobody's going to interview for, for that, Right? Hey, let me tell you something mind-blowing. I read the Bible every day this last week, and it changed my life. Now, people are looking for something more fancy, more sensational than that. But it's in the mundane things that we do every single day that we have victory. And it's in the sensational many times that we're deceived. And we don't even realize that because we're following the patterns of a lot of people around us. This isn't something that would come up as a bestseller in the Christian bookstore. How to really get the most from God? Simply read his word and pray. It wouldn't. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians want the shortcuts to their walk with God. What someone took years like the Apostle Paul to build in their relationship with God, they want in five minutes. It doesn't work that way. There's no five steps to getting close to God. That'll get you there fast. 
Unfortunately, there are no five easy steps to overcoming sin either. It's a battle. It's a battle. You see, so many are looking for sensational experiences that will replace the disciplines of the faith. Well, wait a second, Pastor Rowan, tell me something else to do besides doing this. Can you give me some other tip, please? Give me something else that will work better than what you've said about Bible reading and studying the Word and praying and being in fellowship with other believers. Please tell me there's something else to this. There isn't. Yeah, I know. I didn't excite you there because it takes real work. It's like the person that has to go to the gym every week. Do you think they always want to go? No. But it takes work. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. Here's what Paul says. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if he ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Look, just because somebody's offering you a solution doesn't mean it's a biblically sound solution. So many people, because someone sprinkled a Bible verse in the advice offered, assume that that advice must be right. Which is why Bible study is so important. If you don't understand the context behind the verse that's quoted, you're going to have problems applying it properly. There are many fakers in the Christian life whose only goal is to prey on others for their own profit. Just because it feels good to be positive doesn't mean the problem is actually solved. It's amazing how many Christians buy into the philosophy of the world that if you just think positive thoughts, it'll all go away. It may numb the pain for a little while, but it does not make it go away. The real you is still there. The real spiritual struggle is still there. There's a lot of deception that's crept into the church over positive thinking. To the point of people thinking positively of the sins that they commit. Well, don't worry about it. It's not really you. That's not really you that committed that sin. You've got to think positive thoughts. That's the devil telling you to feel guilty over sin. You see how it works? Very deceptive. You don't need to feel in any way that you need to repent because God created you that way. That's the philosophy a lot of people are believing today. It's a sensational philosophy. This way of thinking leads straight to heresy where God's commandments are no longer valued as sacred. Most heresy today is tied into immoral living or living that's contrary to Scripture. Just about everything that misrepresents the Word of God leads to wrong application of the Word of God. Just about every time. Any verse on giving that turns you into a millionaire overnight is blasphemy. It's taking the Word of God and abusing it for our gain and benefit. You see, false teaching around sensationalism is Satan's favorite to use on any believer. If you could just feel better about yourself... You'll be fine. Which is one of the reasons why, I don't know if you've ever fallen into this trap, I'm the first to admit, I have. When I know I've sinned before God, I try to numb the pain by listening to something that will pump me up. 
that'll make me feel a little better. Only to have it really hit me later on. Sensationalism gets us a lot more than we'd like to admit. We're looking for that feeling, right? That feeling of feeling right with God. It's not that we are actually on terms with God. It's because we feel we're on good terms with God. Which is unfortunately how many can come to the church, never repent of sin, and still feel like they've worshipped. It's sensationalism. It's deceit. If Satan convinced the church member that their experience with God is the ultimate authority, he has nothing else he needs to do. Which is unfortunately where the problem with many Christians is, that they actually find their experience to be more important than this. Well, pastor, don't tell me to do that. My experience tells me otherwise. Well, how can I argue with your experience? I'm sure it's real. The question is, is it biblically sound? And that is where we need to be careful as believers. Because the truth is, Satan knows he can cause dissent among God's people by having them live out their faith based on their experiences. If we're just coming in here just living our faith based on our experiences, we'll never agree on this. Because our experiences are very different. What's another way that we can illustrate deception? Well, here's a big one, and I'm sure we've all gone through this. Feeling shortchanged when compared to others. Satan makes it very easy for us to look at the world and what it has to offer and believe the lie that we've been somehow shortchanged. We don't have the nice car that someone else has. Even though we've been a faithful Christian for so many years, if only I could enjoy the party scene like my non-Christian friends, right? They just seem to enjoy the weekend. I'm here at church. Oh, please don't tell me only a few of us have ever thought of things like this. Why am I even trying? Why do I even struggle with these things? They just give in and it's not a big deal. And they seem to be having fun doing it. Why do I even have to be faithful? Why? Nobody else is. These are the types of thoughts that Satan has us entertain in our minds. These aren't the things we tell everybody else, but he does have us entertain these thoughts in our minds. We somehow think that we're the losers, and boy, is it fun when you're not a Christian. They have it easier than I do. They can sin and not feel guilty over it. The sad reality is that many times we do not know the struggles of those glamorous people that we always espouse to want to be like. Do you really believe Hollywood marriages are all they're cracked up to be? I know we say we don't. But we still idolize them many times. We look at people that are famous as if they've got something to offer us. Do we not? I don't even understand why so many Christians literally check out E.T. all the time. I don't understand that one. Like, how much do you really need to keep up with the Kardashians? How much? Are they going to benefit your heart at all? God clearly states that their end result is destruction. And Psalm 73 is where Asaph sees this, and he has this struggle internally. 
and why other people succeed in this life while he struggles. Look at what it says, Psalm 73, 18 through 28. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Who am I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish, who have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. There's a shift that occurs when a person realizes the end results of those that they think are successful in this life apart from God. You always need to go to the end, believer, and realize that there is something awaiting that you wouldn't want to be a part of when you look at the world in jealousy. Asaph understood that what would ultimately happen to them, he only understood it when he came to God's sanctuary. You see, you're never going to understand what's going on in the world until you're around the right people and in the Word of God. You're going to be struggling continually with this. This is a great piece of application for those of us that struggle with these lies. Are we getting the truth in God's house? Here's another way that Satan deceives us. And this is one that we are not as familiar with. is taking time for sin to flourish. Taking time for sin to flourish. You see, many of us believe that Satan likes to tempt us to sin right away. But the truth is, many of the things that we fall into, he's taken a long-term approach on. And if we're not careful, there's a lot of things that he's been planting seeds in our lives with for years. You see, many people go, how did that marriage fall apart? It didn't happen overnight. I don't know why we're so deceived by that. Small little steps. Small little things that a person gave in to led to that point. As my professor said at college, Dr. Hollinger, Satan has many of us on a yearly schedule, slowly working to destroy our lives. The danger with this strategy is that many people wonder why they're still struggling with specific sins. Things like sexual immorality, depression, worry. Not realizing that this seed was actually planted a long time ago. You're struggling with certain sins because something was planted years ago that you have never pulled out. 
and you haven't gone back to the root. You keep trying to chop the branches of that sin off, but you're not going to the root. The remedy to sin that's been given, time to flourish, is not an easy fix. Which is why the sensational approach just absolutely doesn't work here. That's the problem with most Christian counseling today. It assumes if you follow five steps, you'll be depression-free. The solution is not an easy one. As was stated earlier, we cut off the branches rather than going to the root of the problem. You see, this is the method Satan uses the most to destroy Christian family homes. It's the slow, plant a seed, see where it goes. Plant another seed, see how that ends up. He knows that if I give enough time, the children can rebel against their parents and what they've taught them. If I just put something right here. I'm going to take their parents' hypocrisy and cause doubt in that child's life. And in that doubt, I'm going to cause them to listen to someone else who then will take them astray. The parents will give up on trying to raise them and nurture in the admonition of the Lord if it's too hard on them long term. Here's a big one that I really do want to pause and mention as as to how Satan works in our lives and taking time for sin to flourish. You and I need times alone with God where we actually go back and think through things that we have never owned before him. Not just what we did that day or that week that's more fresh on our minds, but things maybe years ago that we never repented over. Things that really we've not wanted to deal with. Because the truth is, we do have a dark side to us. Sin really has done damage. And we are a lot more fragile than we'd like to admit even those of us that are very tough. You see, in most abuse cases where the victim doesn't realize that the bad decisions later in life are related to the incident that happened to them growing up, it causes bitterness to grow in that individual and they don't see the connection. It gets to a point of being uncontrollable. You see, when dealing with sin that's haunted you for years, you must ask as David asked to get a true look into your sinful past. David says this in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This isn't just about current things, current things that have happened. You have a past, Christian, and there are some things you do need to think through again. And there are things that we need to own. But there's another deception that occurs in the church that is almost the inversion of this. What I like to term false piety. 
False piety. What do I mean by that? This essentially happens when a person decides to do something that seems noble and spiritual, but really there's a self-deception that occurs. Remember, intentions are not everything, believer, whether you want to agree with that or not. Peter had good intentions in not wanting Jesus to go to his death, but his intentions were not proper. They were sinful, even though they seemed to be coming from a good heart, at least from what we would think as a friend. You see, sadly, what God had planned and purpose, Satan used Peter as his tool to try to dissuade. In fact, Jesus tells Peter to get behind him, Satan, going directly to the source. Because Satan was using Peter to not have Jesus go up to Jerusalem. Like, I don't know how else to say this, but there are many helpful Christians that are straight up tools of Satan. They say nice things to us. They're so encouraging in all the wrong ways. They sound so spiritual, but they literally are Satan masqueraded. They tell you what you want to hear, not what you ought to hear. Oh, they're really nice people. You've met them. They're really nice people. They wouldn't hurt a fly. The unfortunate thing is they don't know how to deal with sin because they don't pretend to have any answer for you on that. You're good the way you are. You see, there are many tools of Satan that try to be nice in leading people astray, going contrary to the revealed will of God found in his word. In fact, a lot of these types of people will read positive garbage and then masquerade it inside of Scripture, and you fall for it. Their stance is not biblical. It's a bunch of psychology mixed with a little bit of Scripture which sounds right, but it's absolutely devastating. They themselves twist to fit into their own faith, which really only comes out to be demonic wisdom. In fact, Jesus says something about people like this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 through 9. He says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, what Jesus is really blasting the Pharisees for is their false piety. Oh, you look the part. They look the part. But internally, they were far from God. In fact, their false piety at what Jesus is really dealing with in this text is they had special rules to bypass what they were obligated to do in helping their parents by claiming that the money that they were given was given to God, so I can't give that to you. They were teaching people these things. How to bypass what the Scripture clearly says, which is actually one of the biggest giveaways of false piety. Let me just tell you right away, church, this is the biggest giveaway of false piety. When a person twists the Scripture to say, it doesn't really say what it says. That's not really what it means. Why are you so serious about your faith? 
God loves you just the way you are. He's fine with you staying the way you are. You don't need to repent of anything. Jonathan Edwards says this, There are two sorts of hypocrites. Ones that are deceived with their outward morality and external religion. And the others are those that are deceived with false discoveries and elevation. Which often cry down works and men's own righteousness. Essentially what Jonathan Edwards is saying, there are many that are deceived by their own performance. And there are others that frankly, put down when someone is doing what's right before God. You see, one of the most disgusting things that God is never pleased with, and it happens in all types of churches, is when we assert the name of Jesus Christ in a false piety, which is really only self-seeking and self-serving. When we name the name of Jesus only to benefit ourselves, not for him. Not for his glory. Doing something for God, or we put that in quotes, for God, with only an intention to serve myself. Using God as a tool for our vain pursuits in this life. Telling others God told us to do something that we felt was right, all the while denying scripture that clearly states that what we're doing is wrong. You ever have somebody try to justify what the Word of God clearly says? Like, adultery is wrong. Like, there's not even a dispute in Scripture. Well, you know, you don't understand my circumstances. They were unfaithful to me. I didn't know that was an exception. Please find that in the Word of God for me, that that's the exception right now. And yet, this is how we operate without realizing it. So many of us have a false piety that we're not even aware of. Oh, Lord, I'm serving you. With the heart that really burns for what he wants. Which is why it's always important to check the motives that we have. Motives do matter to God. Here's another way of deception that happens in the church. I term this permanent disability. Permanent disability. What do I mean by that? It's the argument that a person who has failed God can no longer be used by God. Well, you don't know what I've done. I've done all these things. Even since I've been a believer, God can't use me anymore. That's why I'm going to sit here and listen to the pastor. I'm going to listen to the teacher. I'm going to do nothing. He's already failed too much. Satan has you fooled if you think that's true. That's one of his ways of stopping the church from serving. But you don't know what I've done. God does. And he's called you to serve. And he's given you gifts to use. Truth be told, I really don't understand why we as Christians buy into this argument. It puzzles me from a biblical perspective. Let me just give you a little synopsis. Don't you and I realize how many failures God used in the Word of God? If you've read through this book one time, you will only see failure after failure that God uses. There is not a one that did it right except for Jesus himself. 
And even Joseph, which seems like a, almost a perfect character in Scripture, was a little brat in sharing his dream with his brothers. There's a little source of pride there that probably came out. Look at what I've been given. Let's name a few. Okay, here's your, here's your failures that everybody looks up to. David committed adultery, murdered, still used by God. Still called the man after God's own heart, mind you. Here's another one. Noah, spared in the flood. What is his first thing, pretty much, after getting off the boat or the ark? Gets drunk. What a great example. Failure, still used by God. Peter, faithful disciple who only curses the fact that he knows Jesus. Still used by God in the book of Acts. Preaches a sermon, many are saved. So many believers have fallen into this way of thinking because Satan has used people around them to convince them, you failed, you can't be used. I'm going to pause for a moment and make this statement from the pulpit very clear. If you failed, we still need you here. You still have a use to the body of Christ. Do not be deceived by this. It's not over. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. You can get back up. And just because you can't serve in a certain capacity, you can still serve somewhere else. The truth is, if you base your usefulness to God off what others think, you are going to buy into the satanic trap all the time. But what are people going to think if I serve this way? Don't they know my past? Don't they know who I am? It doesn't matter what people think. Particularly if you're doing what God calls you to. It does matter if they're lined up with Scripture and you're not. That's not what I'm saying. But essentially, if God's given you something to do in the church, in the local community, and you're not doing it because you're too afraid of what people will think based on your past, you're not serving God the way you ought to. You're not obeying Him. And you're being deceived. The Apostle Paul himself was not accepted by other believers when he first came to saving faith. In fact, he was outright rejected in the beginning. No, we don't want you around. We know what you did to other Christians. But he gets accepted. Becomes one of the most fervent Christians the world has ever known. That didn't change the fact that God had chosen him to be a vessel. Just because others still doubted what God was going to use him for. Psalm 71, verses 19 through 21 says this. Also your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Listen to this next point. You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. You humble yourself before God, He will lift you up. 
You don't lift yourself up. He will lift you up. You see, we've looked at many of the ways that we're deceived by Satan. But let's look at particularly how do we overcome this deception. So we know that Satan works in all these different ways. How do we overcome this? Well, the first thing is be on guard over deception. If you're assuming it can't be you, you're already deceived. Be on guard over deception. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 9 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. One of the worst things you can do is to think that only others can be deceived, believer. One of the worst things you can do is assume only others can be deceived. It's amazing how many Christians are looking for how others are deceived all the time, not paying attention to the areas that they might be. Which is why they're called here by Peter to be sober, to be on watch, be on guard. We are taught to be very alert of our surroundings. In fact, in the physical realm, we know these things, right? See something, say something. Fight or flight. But for some reason, when it comes to the spiritual realm, we don't have our guard up for some reason. We literally have our guard down. We don't even realize Satan is attacking us sometimes. We don't even realize we might have been deceived. When it comes to deception in our walk with God, many of us are oblivious when it should be obvious. Have you ever seen that? Just practically for a moment. Have you ever seen somebody else walking with God and you're like, how do they get that one wrong? Like, don't they know what God's word says? Why are they hanging out with those people that are only bringing them into further sin? Did you take the time to realize that you may have parts of your life you're deceived? Just like that? What seems so obvious is you're actually oblivious of? You see, there are blind spots that we all have. Which means that you can't be aware of every area you could be deceived in. Which is why the fellowship of believers is so important. You need other people to speak into your life truths when you're deceived. And when somebody confronts you on deception that's going on in your life, you should take it as a grace from God. Rather than get your high wall up and go, how dare you tell me I'm wrong. Or the famous one, right? When someone calls us out, but you know what you did? You were foolish years ago. You don't talk to me about this. You did the same thing years ago. Ever heard that from someone else? Sure we have. If our first response to somebody trying to help us and showing us areas that we're deceived in is to be self-defense-like and say, hey, you did this too, then we're not understanding. We're going to continue in our deception because we're going to pass it off as not a big deal. Let, let Let me pause for a moment and say this. Sometimes the source of that confrontation may not be something you want. There have been many people in my life that, man, if it, if it came from their lips, I would never want to listen. 
but at times they were right. And I had to realize, well, wait a second, is this God's method of chastisement in my life and I need to pay attention or not? Look, if God can use a donkey with Balaam, you can fill in the rest. You see, the, de- the devil is seeking someone he can deceive and ultimately consume and devour. He's not looking for a small bite of you. Lions are not there for a small bite. He's looking to devour. And the truth is, he's devoured a lot of Christians, spiritually speaking. They've given up. They have no fight in them left. Here's another one in overcoming deception is be aware of consequences. You know why so many people don't murder somebody in America? It's because they know they'd go to prison for it. They're aware of the consequences. We as Christians need to be aware of the consequences of deception. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You see, one of the greatest deceptions we fall into is assuming that we'll escape the consequences of our sinful choices. You won't. You won't. Doesn't matter how long it takes, you will not escape the consequences. Just because something comes out years later doesn't mean you escaped. It just took a little longer to get to that point. God will not be ridiculed by our attempt to bypass the standard found in his word. That's essentially what this text is saying. God is not mocked. Don't think God didn't know what happens. A lot of Christians go, well, you know, he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, so God no longer cares. There are no consequences. Oh, they are. And they're pretty severe. And the last part, in making sure that we understand how to overcome deception, is application itself matters. It's not enough to know you're deceived. Oh, you know, we're all deceived. Let's just go about our day because we know we will be anyways. James 1, 21 through 25, listen to what it says. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, And immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You see, so many of us have been taught well. We've been taught the Word of God faithfully. We've heard many a sermon But to ask ourselves honestly, did we care to apply that wonderful truth we learned? 
If applying the word is not a priority, then self-deception is inevitable, believer. If you stop at the point of application, you've learned a lot of great, amazing facts from the word of God, you are now officially deceived. Even though you think you're enlightened. Because it wasn't put into practice. Knowing you have sins you struggle with, but not doing anything about them shows you're deceiving yourself into simply admitting you have a problem. If we went around this world and asked if people have things they struggle with, most people would agree they have things they struggle with. But if you were to argue whether they've done something about it, most have not. The danger this text brings up is looking at a mirror, realizing where the problem is, and immediately forgetting what we really look like. You look at the mirror, you see the flaws, you walk away, completely forget what you just saw. That's essentially what this text is saying. That's what happens when you just hear the word and you don't want to do anything with it. Yet so many live our lives seeing what God says, hearing what God says, and refuse to repent. Oh, we admit we have a problem. We got started with step one. But we stopped there. God, I know you need me not to harbor bitterness. I'll take care of it later because it's too much to deal with right now. God, I know I lack consistency in these things. But you know how busy I am. I just don't have the time for it right now. God, you know I shouldn't be so easily angered. But I don't have an excuse really, but I'm tired. That's because I'm tired. You see, discipleship is absolutely necessary for all of us. Yet so many of us take it so lightly. It's only for those who need the support. I'm fine on my own. I don't need anybody else in my life. It's only for those that kind of need that time. No, that's for everybody. That's a commandment passed from Jesus himself to his disciples. There's so many times we could have seen victory if someone had been there to confess our faults to and pray with us in our struggle with the flesh, as James encourages actually later on in this book. It's difficult. But being a doer of the word brings blessings to our lives. It says that you'll be blessed if you are that one that does what the word says. The the reason so many Christians are so miserable in their lives is because they know all the things they should do, but they don't care to do any of them. The reason you're in the state of misery that you and I find ourselves in many times in our lives is because we know what God's word says, and we just refuse to do it. It's not like we're not aware. We've been taught since we're little children, some of us. We've heard many sermons on that. And if we do care about something Scripture says, we give up too quickly and revert to our old ways, do we not? All right, I'll try, Lord, I'll try this week. Three days in, oh my goodness, this is so hard, I quit. What part of spiritual warfare are we missing here? This is a, literally a battle to the end. 
Paul's telling Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are called. We're not blessed many times because we give up too easily. So in conclusion, here's a dangerous question to ask. Where are you deceived? Where are you deceived? Maybe there's some things that we discussed this morning that you've never really considered before. You see, the reality is, it's not just others that can be deceived, you can be deceived. Maybe you've essentially forgotten the spiritual battle that you're in with an actual devil waging war against you. Maybe you've completely ignored that this last week. You were so concerned about the politics and everything going on right now, you totally forgot that there's a spiritual war behind the scenes. Maybe you've been disabled from serving God because you've been deceived into thinking, I have too many things I've done wrong, there's no way God can use me now. That's a deception from Satan. And the truth is, sometimes he uses other people that are believers who have supposedly good intentions but are really tools of his in stopping you from serving as he would want. Don't assume that taking action against deception doesn't matter. It absolutely does, believer. When God gives you clarity on a particular area that you've been deceived in, take the time to repent and do something. Don't be just a hearer. Don't just recognize you were deceived. Proactively do something by the power of the Holy Spirit to counter what you've been deceived in. If you know that you've been spending time with people that lead you away from the word of God, you know the one thing you don't do? Lord, forgive me for doing it and go back to them. That is being a forgetful hearer, not a doer. Deception is where it all starts for us. We're deceived into thinking eternity is not real, that God will accept me with my own righteousness, and that there really isn't a hell awaiting those that don't know Christ. All of those things are deceptions that Satan plays on the world. Unfortunately, deception invades many congregations thinking they're somehow okay with being mere knowers of the word rather than doers. Man, you'll be blown away by all we've learned. Okay, good. What have you done? That's what God's saying. Do you realize, church, that the more we know, the more we're accountable for not doing? You might want to be careful in learning a lot more. Because if you're not even doing the things you're already aware of, you just held yourself even more accountable before God. That doesn't mean you stop learning. That's not what I'm saying. But your knowledge and your practicality needs to match up. The application needs to be there. Pharisees could walk circles around us. Application had nothing for them. God has always promised to give us the truth. And in knowing this truth, church, what are we going to do? Ask yourself that question. What am I going to do? Knowing that God has spelled it all out in his word.